welcome to Shattered Lives Radio, part of the Inside Lens Network. If you are uh, if if you are a, a victim of crime trying to graduate to being a survivor of crime, with an emphasis on the aftermath of crime and how it impacts your life. If you appreciate diversity of topic and want to come along for the ride. If you are looking for cutting-edge programs, information, resources, inspiring people that assist you in finding your voice, voice, you have come to the right place. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host with my co-host, Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com. Thank you for listening and sharing this podcast. So we're welcoming you again on this beautiful Saturday here in Connecticut and Elsewhere in Myrtle Beach or wherever you happen to be listening uh, live or on the archives. And uh, good morning uh, to everyone. This is the, the, this is Donna, a.k.a. Lady Justice, welcoming you. And we have a very, very special guest, a repeat offender, um, times, times two here. And she's not an offender, I'm just teasing. But she is a wonderful <laughs> advocate for... Um, for missing sister and for um, missing persons in general in Connecticut and a um, a friend of mine. And uh, before we introduce Mary Engelbrecht uh, formally with her story, I want to say good morning to my co-pilot. Delilah, good morning. How are you? Good morning and happy to be here for another episode. This is such a, a important show. It really and truly is because we... Well, you as the host have been able to come up with some of the best guests over the years. And on the Inside Lens Network, we have programming that's very diverse with an emphasis really on crime-related podcasts such as your show and um, Crime Wire and the Transparency Project. And But we also have other programming as well. And one of them is is my show, Imagine Publicity mm-hmm. on Air, and I've had the opportunity to do some interviews with authors and people, other people who are very issue oriented. So I always look forward to those coming up. Um, and the Inside Lens Network is a place where we highlight cases. Some of those cases are open. Some of them are cold cases, such as what we're going to talk about today, but in no way do we represent the guests and their information. This is their information to give to the listeners, but we also like to give some resources and some suggestions on things that can possibly move your case along or help you as um, a surviving victim of whatever the tragedy is that happened in your life. So we hope that you will tune in today, tomorrow, and the rest of the days. Absolutely. And we have, what, over 700 podcasts all told, Delilah? Pretty much, yeah. Very close to 700. Yes. And you can... Go on iTunes or just about any other of the podcast directories carry the show. And But on iTunes, if, if you're listening on iTunes, please subscribe to us. Leave a comment. Leave a review. Um, give us some five stars. <laughs> what it does for yes, us, not, you know, yeah, it makes us feel really good. But on the other hand, it, the service it provides when you do that is allowing this information that we give to go into so many more areas. It's going to pull in other listeners that maybe, um, you know, wouldn't normally listen to the show, but they see that you've left a a good comment and they want to hear what you've got to say. Absolutely. So I, I totally agree. And thank you. Um, Thank you for that information. It's very important. We want to highlight each and every show and, I know Mary and her vast network of people around have been very, very kind to uh, continually uh, perpetuate all of the, the posts that we put up. So thank you. Thank you, Mary. Mary Engelbrecht, I, it, it's such an honor to have you. I think we initially met live and in person when I was doing a book event at, um, and, uh, at the Buckland Mall, and it was such a pleasure because uh, doing book events can be kind of lonely sometimes. You never know who's going to show up. <laughs> Excuse me. And so 
that was our initial um, our initial meeting and got to meet Michael Smith and you know we yes. we have a small network here and we try to keep in touch online because our our lives are very, are are very busy in a lot of different ways but you are a very important um, person to us and I'm so glad to have you in my circle and again it's an honor to have you on here just to to let you know I think it was I didn't have time to check the date but perhaps it was about two years ago that we featured two to three years ago that we featured a very important show it took me about a year to get together with the um, cold case unit of uh, Talent County with the state police with the detectives um, on right and that was our initial introduction with two detectives and, and you and some other family members. So that's a great show as well, and we'll have to repost yes, that. Yeah, wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah, so why are, why are we here today again? Well, you know, it's it, for a couple of reasons. We always need to um, reiterate the fact that missing persons, it's not enough to, to do something once. It's perpetually important to remind people that people are still missing, especially in your case, because it's been such a very long time. And I'm going to have you start with talking about your family a little bit, but I just want to say this initially, and maybe you can you can give people an idea about, Mary, it's been 45 years, and this is a celebration for the legacy of what you and your family has been able to do to honor Janice, um, your sister that went missing as a very small child. But can we just talk about that a little bit and then we can go into it. 45 years ago, next week, your, your sister Janice Pocket went missing. How do we, how do we keep hope alive? How do you do it? Well, (laughs) I'm telling you, it's not always easy to keep hope alive, but um, my feeling is that no matter how long it's been, there's always hope. I'm seeing all the time in the news about cold cases being solved um, for all kinds of reasons. It doesn't always involve DNA or, you know, evidence quite like that, but that's for one example, keeps me going. I see other cases being solved. And um, I also think, you know, having a network of friends and family that are right there with me and um, always letting me know whenever I'm feeling this is not going to get solved that, you know, yes, there's, there is hope. I really appreciate. And, and Donna, um, I think, you know, people like you, <laughs> Um, are also out there, and detectives from the Connecticut State Police, um, authors that I've met that have done shows on my sister's case, they all have been instrumental in helping me, you know, keep keep my hope alive. Mm-hmm. And and so it really is a day-to-day thing, isn't it? I mean, you have your good days and your days that are not so good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I have to say, there's a lot I, other things that help is like new information coming in quite, you know, fairly frequently, which, you know, you might think sounds crazy after 45 years, but it's still people that will call in with information. So that too, you know, gives me hope that, you know, someone out there might hold the key to what happened and they may not even know it. Um, any bit of information could be important. So I encourage anyone to, you know, contact the police or call the tip line to give information. Mm-hmm. Do, do you want to give the um, the information up front and we can give it, you know, again throughout the show or at the end? What 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 is the tip line? Where, where can people send information? Okay, there is a tip line. I'll give the number because I don't have the email right in front of me, but it's something that I believe it posted on my sister's Facebook page. Um, okay. But the tip line number is 860-870-3228. And I'd also like to just give a number for the Connecticut State Police because um, just as a secondary number, this is a general number, um, 860-779-4940. 
but that can put you in touch with the detective that you would need to talk to if if you did call. Oh, that that's wonderful. So and and this is classified as still an active ongoing case in terms of investigation. It's an open case. Yes, oh. it's an open case. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, let's let's give uh, a bit of an before we get into the circumstances of how she was missing. Just tell us, uh, describe a, a bit about about your family and, and what it was like growing up with Janice. What was the family dynamics, your relationship? What are the memories that you treasure? Well, you know, I was only six years old when she went missing, but I do have a lot of memories that um that are very fond besides the fact that you know she was my older sister she was definitely in charge <laughs> she was always <laughs> bossing me around but I didn't mind that you know that was okay she was my big sister so we fought a lot but we had a lot of fun together as well um our mother you know my mom of course back then stay at home mom we did everything with my mom you know everything we did with her um and our days you know would be spent taking walks uh swimming lessons we spent a lot of time outside either playing with neighborhood kids you know in our yard or just playing in our backyard you know things were that we loved to do was catch butterflies you know toads, salamanders. That was the kind of stuff we used to do together. So nature stuff, you know, playing outside, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. And um, riding our bikes. That was kind of stuff that we did. Mm-hmm. And um, so your your family was was a, a close knit family. And remind us what what year what year she was born. She was born in 1965. 1965. Um, And I came along about a year and a half later in 1967. And um, so we were only a year and a half apart. So we were very close. Um, Mm -hmm. We lived, you know, in Tallinn with our parents. And one set of my grandparents also lived in Tallinn. So we were always, you know, getting together um, for dinner and things like that. We spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house as well. We lived, you know, close by. Um, we, I remember every Sunday we would go to visit my mom's mother who lived in Meriden. So that was a, a weekly thing we'd do too. So always doing family things. So we were very close. Mm-hmm. We used to take trips up to Vermont to visit relatives up there as well. So always getting together with family. Well, that's that's it. Can you give us a little idea for people listening nationally? What is that town county like? Is it rural? Is it is it suburban? What what's the area like? In 1973, it was a very rural area. You know, um, very middle class neighborhood town in general. It's changed a lot over the years. It's you know a much bigger established town now, but it was very rural back then. And, you know, we lived um, in a, you know, what we thought was a very nice and safe neighborhood, um, you know, very close to a dirt road, a lot of wooded area. You know, there was paths in the woods. We'd go and with my mom and we'd have picnics, you know, things like that. It was a very rural place. But, you know, a lot of neighborhood kids that would play together, it, it was seemed at the time like a very safe place to grow up but unfortunately it didn't turn out to be that way right and I was just thinking as you're talking you know grow me growing up in the 50s and 60s and beyond it was a time of innocence and you didn't I mean I don't know about locking the doors or you know we knew to go back home after playing when the street lights went on I mean was it that kind of situation with your family we didn't feel like we would be unsafe no, I not at all. I mean, again, I was very young, so and my sister was only a year and a half older than me, so we didn't do much like not being supervised by you know a parent or another adult. But still, you know, we would. I certainly we never worried about stuff like that. It was never mm-hmm. a concern. Um, I think you could talk to anyone in that neighborhood, and um, they would tell you the same thing. You know, it was just, you know, kids were always out all day on their own 
until right. until unfortunately what happened with my sister it changed the whole dynamic of the neighborhood. Well, absolutely, and that's what um, I want to get in, get into a bit a little with a little more detail, and then want to spend you know a, a, some significant time on this event that you're planning in terms of the vigil in honor. But so let's let's fast forward a bit to the day the day that she went missing. Was it like any other normal day? I mean, what what would go through your your mind now about that day if you could revisit it. Let's describe what, what happened that day. I tell I, I can tell you what I remember from that day. You know, and I don't remember obviously a lot. I was young. Right. But well, I do remember old you. I I'm sorry. I do it, what remember was, what um, was told to you, yeah. Yeah, I I do remember that afternoon we had gone grocery shopping with my mom, you know, and um I remember being home after that, and I, I can very vividly remember my mom putting like groceries away at the bottom of our basement stairs because we had like we had a metal cabinet down there where she'd keep like canned things and stuff like that, and she was putting things away. And um, I had Janice and I had been fighting, which we did quite frequently, and about something <laughs> silly as usual. And um, <laughs> I remember that distinctly that I was crying and. You know, I'm sure my mother was like, just please stop. <laughs> um, and I don't know how soon after that, but I remember my sister asking if she could up the road on her bike. And I do mean literally up the road. It was a very short distance where she had hidden a butterfly that she had found a couple of days earlier. We had been walking with my mom. And I remember that she had found this beautiful, you know, eastern swallowtail butterfly, a yellow and black butterfly. It was dead but it was perfect. And for whatever reason, she couldn't carry it home that day. So I remember her tucking it behind a rock, like on the dirt road towards the woods, like up near where the stone wall was um, at that time. And she wanted to go back up and get it. And my mom, you know, really never let us do anything unsupervised, but for, she said, hurry up, go quick and come right back. And the next thing I remember is walking up the road with my mom. I was holding her hand. We had our dog. And I remember vividly walking up the road and turning a curve. And there was my sister's bike on the side of the road. And it was laying down. And my mom calling her name. And after that, I have, like, no memories of that day. But um, just, I think, the panic. I heard the panic in my mother's voice. And, of course, oh you know, I've been told what things that have happened after that, but I personally don't remember it. Right. Um, I think sometimes the mind is kind, and maybe that's why I don't remember it. Sure. That was and, and you were very young, last. but go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was only six, six and a half, barely six and a half, so. Yeah, I, I just, I can't conceive of the fact, you know, your mom is busy with the groceries and, and you're you're having a disagreement. Oh, okay. If that makes you feel better, go and and come back quick. Famous last words, kind of thing. You know, your mom, your mom must have been so tormented with with that. Did how how did she, and and uh, your mom has passed. My mom has passed away. Yes, it's been about nine years now. Um, mm-hmm. I don't I I don't know how my mom. <laughs> my mom was to me. She's my hero. She was such a strong inwardly strong woman um I don't know how she got her and my dad as well how they got through it but they did and um you know I know my mom was tormented with guilt because she said I never should have let her go you know I know that's that she had to live with that the rest of her life of course it wasn't her fault in any way but you it's human nature to say well I should have done that or I shouldn't have done that so she, mm-hmm. I don't know how she got through it, you know, but she did say to me, you know, once, you know, as an adult, when I was an adult and said, you know, if I hadn't had you, I don't think I would have survived because she said, I, I knew I had to take care of you and I wanted to make your life as normal as possible. So, oh. so you were kind mom, of like a lifeline. Know? Yeah. I think that's how she, I think she kind of thinks, you know, she would thank God she had me to focus on, you know, in a way, just because I can't imagine the horror of it. I mean, I have three kids of my own, and I just can't, as a parent, 
once you become a parent, it's like, wow, how did anyone get through that? Yeah. Well, Mary, Mary, Mary could you, uh, you, you mentioned earlier the ripple effect of what this happened, that happened in your town when Janice went missing, um, that changed everything for a lot of people, not just your family, but yeah. the whole community. And maybe you can speak yeah. a little bit to that mm-hmm. because it really, you know, it's not just one family's tragedy. It's the tragedy of, of a whole community. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, of course, I wasn't aware of any of this at the time being so young, but I can't even tell you how many people, people that were kids at the time or, you know, adults from our neighborhood that have said to me, it just, it changed the whole neighborhood. And, you know, people weren't worried about things like this, but after that, kids weren't allowed to play outside, unsupervised. I mean, there was no more riding your bike down the road to play with friends. That just stopped in our neighborhood for a long time. I mean, people were scared. And mm-hmm. um, it's amazing the kind of, um, you know, just the community in general and how people came together, I think. I think, you know, not that I really recall that, but just from what I've heard. And um, what kinds of yeah. thi- what kinds of things did they do? And I were a big police presence initially, and that kind of oh thing. Oh my gosh! Yeah, there was there was an immediate, you know, of course, huge search because you know at first they thought my sister was lost in the woods. I don't think they were thinking foul play at all. It was you know this girl went into the woods and she's lost. And like I said, it was a very wooded area, so there was. And some of this I've even learned from newspaper articles and, you know, just things my parents have told me. But there was, I think, 800 people that volunteered to search. I mean, it was a huge search and that lasted for a week, if not more, just combing the woods in an area around, you know, our home. But I think after, you know, nothing was found, that's when the police started realizing that, you know, we think there's something else has happened here. This is not a girl that was lost in the woods. She was taken, you know, from here. Um, you know, things were different back then. It wasn't like it was a, you know, nowadays it would be an immediate crime scene. And, you know, any evidence would have been preserved, but things were different back then. And I don't think anyone out there in Tallinn had really dealt with something <laughs> too right. much. You know, it was the state well, police was, was that, you know, took the case. Time? But Was there a lag time there was, between... When your mom reported it, or mom and dad reported her missing, and then the police response and what they initially did? There wasn't. um, This is, you know, from what I've heard from family members and everything, you know, my sister left the house around 3.30 p.m., somewhere around there. Um, You know, then my mom and I went looking. Didn't, you know, I think came back home, and then my dad was just getting home from work. So he went and I think drove up also looking. Um, he also picked up my sister's bike and brought it home thinking, you know, I don't want anyone to take her bike. Oh, <laughs> you know? God. So there, some, exactly. Something you wouldn't do nowadays. The one thing I was told um, was that one thing my mother did do was put a rock right where the bike was found because she wanted to note the location, which I thought was very you know, Insightful, good on her huh? part. So that, mm-hmm. yes, because um, afterwards the di- the police did take the bike up to that spot. And, you know, with reports coming in from witnesses around the time, you know, we're able to take photos of where the bike was and things like that at different mm-hmm. times. But, um, yeah, so, and then I think after, so I think the police were at our house before it was probably not much more than an hour, you know, after she was discovered missing. So it well, could have been, I don't think it was good. much more than that. Yeah. yeah. Now tell us about the butterfly and was there significance of whether the, the butterfly was there or not? That's a good question because I've asked <laughs> detectives that since, you know, was the butterfly ever found? And no, it wasn't. And another interesting wow. thing is when my sister left on her bike, my mother gave her a white envelope to take with her to put the butterfly in to bring home and they never found the white envelope. So that was nowhere in the area. So, um, so I don't know. Had she had it with her. 
she, she, she must have had it with her. I think it was theorized that when she was taken, she was heading home. Just because of the direction her bike was facing, even though it was laying down, it was facing towards our home. Yeah. Um, and there was a couple of witnesses that, like, maybe, I don't even know if it was two minutes apart, um, that saw her bike, didn't see my sister, but they saw her bike. And one, the first witness saw it standing up, like facing away from our home. So they thought, oh, I think the woman actually said I slowed down because I thought a kid was going to run out of the woods, you know. But mm-hmm. no kids, so she went on. And maybe two minutes later, a, a man was driving the other direction, and he saw my sister's bike laying on the side of the road. So... I don't know if it was the same side or even where it was in relation to the first witness, but so that's, I think, where they figured she was heading home. I mean, just a theory, but yeah, yeah, it's just amazing that in that short period of time, something happened, you know, in a two minute time period, it's kind of um, scary when you think about it. Yeah, it's just kind of haunt haunt you, you know, wanting to know those answers and whatnot. And so, um, in the in the in the early days of handling, can you give us a summary about the the handling of the case early on and and kind uh, and kind of then when you took over as kind of a primary, you know, with uh, for um, for the case and developing, you know, the the website information and all of that? Can you give us a summary of? of what happened early on and the progression of the case with the state police? Yes. Um, Well, you know, early on, I don't, obviously, I don't know firsthand what happened. I do know, I do remember, you know, my mom had said that how the state police worked diligently and, you know, did everything they could to find my sister. I mean, she praised them up and down. So, I mean, there was, um, so many suspects and possible suspects. And I think, you know, I think like looking, I've had opportunities to look at case files and look back and, you know, a lot of suspects were never ruled out, you know, so there was just so many. And um, uh, I don't know. (laughs) It's just, it's overwhelming when you think about it, to be honest with you, just how many people, I mean, and they did, you know, I think everything they could do with what they had at the time. Um, I, as an adult, probably didn't, you know, I have to be honest, you know, growing up, I I didn't like being the sister of the missing girl. I felt that that was like my identity was, oh, she's the sister of the missing girl. I really didn't, I, I didn't like that. I have to be honest. It was like, I remember, uh, you know, just walking places and seeing her missing poster and, and, you know, kids at school saying things to me about it. And it was just, it was kind of rough. I didn't want to be the sister of the how, missing girl. How unfair. That, that's very insightful. Yeah, how unfair that is to other family members to be identified as the sibling of or the whatever. How did, how did you deal? How did you deal with that? Did that make you become more withdrawn or I, what, what happened? I mean, I tell you, it's, I think I just didn't want to even people to know that she was my sister. And, you know, as an adult, I feel terrible about that. I'm like, I, <laughs> I feel like I let her down. Isn't that, I mean, that's how you think, you know, I feel like I let my sister down by not, you know, acknowledging her so much when I was growing up. But I mean, that's, you know, life is tough growing up at, at, no matter what. So, you know, I can forgive myself for that. <laughs> now I'm making and up for a lot of Let me now. tell you. I know. <laughs> I'm making Look up at what for you're it. doing now. No <laughs> guilt, Mary. No guilt. You know, you once know? my parents got older and, you know, I know my mom, it was very hard for her. She had to come to a point in her life where she said, I'm probably not going to know what happened to her before I die. And she had to accept that. And I think that was very difficult for her because, of course, she wanted to know and, and fight for my sister. But, you know, there's a point where you just have to say, I'm tired and, you know, what happens, happens. And I think that's kind of when I took over as a voice for my mom and, and my dad, too. My dad was more, didn't want to talk about it. I, he was, you know, it really broke members of my family, this, obviously. 
And he mm-hmm. wasn't, he would tell me stories sometimes about, you know, oh, you and Janice used to do this, but he didn't want to talk about, you know, the bad thing. Over, though, for my mom really talking to the detective at the time and kind of being that liaison for her and I would fill her in, you know, and things like that. And, you know, once they both passed, it's just, you know, that's when I really am just like, wow. And I think a, another big turning point for me was becoming a mom and saying, wow, this is what, you know, imagining it and thinking this is what my parents went through. And that's when I really um, kind of took over. And I do want to mention I had a very good friend. I still have a very good, she's still my very good friend, but she was at the time, I remember it was around like 2000, 2001, and she really supported me and, and encouraged me to find my voice <laughs> and um, really speak out. And um, she will be there at the vigil supporting me as well. But she, I, I do, always do you want to mention her, her name? Oh, her name is Lorinda. <laughs> I don't know if she's okay. listening, but. Um, I'm sure she will, but I always tell her she got me going with all this. She really did. So (laughs) I'm grateful to her for that. And, um, yeah, she really, because I, you know, it took me a long time to be strong enough to find my voice. And even the fact that I'm speaking out about this is um, amazing even to me. So, yeah, well, we're talking 18 (laughs) years then, aren't we? Yep. Wow. Good for good for you, you know. Uh, we're very proud of you. Do, um, with regard to the status of, you know, even the change in what's happened with the state of Connecticut resources and whatnot, which were in dire financial uh, straits, what, what has happened with the uh, cold case unit that, you know, initially was investigating this? Is it, am I correct in saying that there are, a couple of retired police officers now that are still at it or what's going on? Yeah. Currently? Well, currently, um, unfortunately the cold, I mean, I'm not saying it's completely dismantled, but it's been very much cut back. Um, you know, we don't have a full-time de- retired detective working on it anymore. Um, I am told that, um, you know, the tip line is still in place. Of course, Mm-hmm. You can leave a message, and I'm assuming and hoping that you know um, those any tips are you know those people are getting return phone calls and leads are to. I'm told that's still happening. Um, the current police detective who has the case, he's been fabulous, and I just found out he'll be retiring at the end of August, so I'm very sad. <laughs> um, he's been extraordinary in getting things going with my sister's case and looking into all kinds of leads and even doing some searches and that's detective Robert given. I just want to give a shout out to him. Too. Oh, He's been great. wonderful. I can't well, thank him enough. <laughs> and I'm happy, still going to be but I'm not happy you? for me. Uh, I, I understand that. Is he still going to be helping you perhaps in retirement? Do you know? Well, I, that I don't know, but <laughs> we hope um, you never know. You never know. Right. <laughs> Right. It would be wonderful, um, but I wouldn't expect that, you know. <laughs> right. Well, in, in, in my experience with detectives that have retired and someone that we work with very closely, Delilah, isn't it, you know, when when um, PIs or, or, or law enforcement retire, they never really retire. And I'm, I'm just wondering, um, in your experience in working with crime, the new Crime Wire and Transparency Project, in terms of order of priority and whatnot, in terms of cases, are they now when new cases come up, that's the hierarchy, and then when they have time, they work on these very old cases now? Do, do you have any insight into that, Delilah, working with our, our colleagues? Well, that seems to be that seems to be pretty common throughout every police department, and yeah. and rightfully so. I mean, this is right. kind of how it has to work. Something always comes up that takes priority, unfortunately. And, and I right. think that's one of the things that citizens, you know, like you say, retired police officers or detectives or private investigators um, that have the ability to to get behind some of these investigations and turn in the information that they find because a lot of the detectives assigned to a case just really and truly don't have time. 
And unfortunately, um, it's not going to get any better with budget cuts. There's, you know, resource cuts. And I mean, one example, I think that it's very important right now and it's very hot topic is um, a lot of the DNA matching evidence that has begun Mm -hmm. to solve cases all over the place. And especially, you know, came to the news with the Golden State Killer. Well, come to find out that this website was two retired guys that put it together for using, (laughs) you know, just to keep track of their own family trees, so to speak. And, And then all of a sudden it exploded. It exploded. So... We're seeing a lot more of that. And it, it, again, it's private citizens that can bring their expertise into cases like this. And you have places like, you know, websites like Web Sleuths that's been around for many, many years. And a lot of people have a lot of experience uh, that belong to that website. So there's been a lot of good information coming out on there as well. But, and, and there's all, sort of ways that private citizens can get involved with their police departments, their local or, you know, however you want to do it, wherever you feel your talents can be used, step up and use them because there's not a shortage. There's definitely not a shortage of cases that um, need to be resolved. Right. And another place is is volunteer for Q Center for Missing Persons. I mean, please. (laughs) <laughs> that is, is you know, the premier missing persons organization in the country. And we're always, always, well, Donna and I are already involved in it. So we, we know firsthand that we're always looking for good people with skills that they can bring to the table because there's a lot of work to be done that goes on behind the scenes. There's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes that no one really knows about. And, and all of that takes a coordination of talent. And um, we're always looking for good people. Step up. We, we do. And uh, there's a lot of different jobs. And we can't do it all if we're the only presenting estate. And I, I'm only one person as well. So I need help. All you Connecticut citizens, you want to step up and, and, and do something. There's many different jobs. So, yes, thank you. Mary, um, wanted to ask you: Is it has it fallen on your shoulders to kind of help weed out? You know, when you get these tips, how do you validate what's accurate and what's bogus? And has this been a real problem for you over forty-five years? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I have. I do get a lot of people contacting me through Janice's Facebook page with info or information or just things that could be information or memories that I say, oh, wow, or, um, you know, mentioning people's names that, and what I've always done is just pass the information, you know, over to the state police detective, and he takes it from there. Um, Everything, and I've had, I've been lucky because everything I've passed on, they do look into it and, you know, get back to me and let me know, and um, some things have led to actual cadaver dog searches in the last <laughs> few years. So, um, wow. you know, those tips do get looked at and and followed up on. So that's why I'm always encouraging people, please call the tip line. Call, you know, if people tell me, oh, well, I called the tip line and no one called me back. I mean, it takes time, um, but I'll also give out the state police number, like I, you know, like I said, and you can reach them that way too, you know, so. Right. But and, and always, it must be, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just always encouraging people, but well, you have to call that in, you know, because you don't know something, anything could be important. That's the thing. After 45 years, you never know what's going to lead to something. Well, Mary, right. let me ask you this. Are there, are there working theories with with the people assigned to Janice's case and what what do they feel like what happened to her um well i what i i they feel i mean i think you know she was kidnapped um i think it's pretty by car you know taken into a vehicle i think that's a um definite which mm-hmm. everyone agrees on mm-hmm. this yeah that's a given because um but there's 
several, I think, theories as to who did it. I mean, um, like I said, there's been so many suspects and a lot that have not ever been cleared. So, I mean, we even had a confession like in the late 70s, but that was never <laughs> panned out. But I don't think they've completely ruled that person out. But um, still, so still, I mean, they've ruled out who they can. I think that was part of what the cold case was working on, was trying to rule people out that they could. So to not spend time, right. you know. But there are several suspects on the table. Now, let me ask you this. Um, where, what vicinity or how far away from the place that she was kidnapped um, do they believe her remains might be found? Well, you know, I don't know if there's even a theory on that. Um, I know there was digs very even close to my house because of what some person said. Uh, um, they drained Walker Reservoir in Vernon at one point because of what a psychic said. I mean, there's been several searches. So um, there, I think there's even been um, possibilities that, you know, she was in Massachusetts connected to some cases up there. So um, right. I don't know. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to assume that her information has all been entered into NamUs. Yes, everything is in there, yes. Okay, great. Her DNA um, samples from my, you know, my her the DNA from my parents is in there, and dental records, everything is on file. So, yeah, you know, that's you never know when that could lead to something as well. True, and and we 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 want to mention uh, um, uh, about the couple of other g- girls in our seventeen remaining minutes, just to give you a time check, Mary. Um, Absolutely. Let, Let's talk about Lisa, Lisa Joy White and Deborah Spickler and the association there or the theories because they've always sort of been linked together. Can you give us a, a, a summary of that? Well, yeah, I think just because of the – a lot of it's based on location um, and, you know, circumstances as well. I mean – Debbie Spickler was 1968, and that was Henry Park and Vernon, where she was last seen. And then, of course, there was my sister in Holland, and then Lisa White right there in Rockville, which um, really is not that far from where I lived. It's not of a long drive. So I think, um, yes, they are there. I don't know if they could ever definitively say that the cases are connected, but that theory that they could be connected. So... Um, and I know there's been, you know, leads in the other cases as well. Um, but mm-hmm. um, I'm not no, sure no what, de- you know. definitive, yeah, evidence to connect them. And um, back then, if you theorize, the bike had been left right where it was. And, I mean, now with DNA and whatnot, was there any kind of physical evidence that they could glean from the scene there was nothing and i know they did of course they you know the police have the bike and they went back more than once over the years to try to get fingerprints and other evidence you know as you know new technology came but they've never been able to get anything off of the bike um so Mm -hmm. there's really no physical evidence of any kind in my sister's case, nothing. And it's like she vanished. That's, you know, there's nothing. You know, and even if it was a sexual predator that they're, you know, supposedly looking at or whatever, um, that person would have been now 45 years later, significantly old and underground or incarcerated or not. I mean, it, that's something that they're always checking, like, I mean, when they're looking at the, the sexual offender registry, that kind of thing. Absolutely, yes. And, I mean, I mean, there's a good chance whoever did it is deceased as well. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of suspects, a lot of the possible suspects are at this point deceased. So, you know, that just makes things harder as well. But Right. Do you know how many people are on this uh, sexual offender registry in our state? 
Oh, gosh. I don't know. I, um, I don't know either. <laughs> I should have tried to check. Yeah, I know that. I know you can access it online. I, you know, it's to different, you know, neighborhoods right. and, and where your towns and stuff. Yeah. 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 That's that's true. Well, that's something we probably said. let's let's skip over to what we're dealing, what we're what's coming up this next week. Tell uh, so, well, initially, mate, I just love the bench that was created. I want you to tell people about how that evolved. And where it is, and is that on the on the site where where or near where the vigil is taking place? Let's talk about all of that and the details. Okay. Um, yes, um, that's where the vigil will be taking place at the site of the bench. Um, the bench was dedicated five years ago um, on the 40th anniversary of my sister's disappearance. Um, it was a town event. And um, it's a beautiful bench that was made by Rockfield Monuments. Um, and it's online it was, for everybody to see and on the radio yes, show. Yes, it is. If you go into Blog Talk Radio. It's the most gorgeous bench I've ever seen. It's beautiful. It is. And um, that was – and I'm going to give another shout-out here to my friend, Sharon Hiller, who was instrumental in getting that – whole memorial organized five years ago and she's also helping me with this memorial thank you Sharon I know I've been driving her crazy the last week so (laughs) um but she was instrumental in getting all of this done and the town did a wonderful job um and that bench is located on Rhodes Road 167 Rhodes Road in Tolland which um incidentally is literally around the corner from where my sister was last seen. So it's right there in the area. Um, it's a recreation complex as well. It's Cross Farms Recreation Complex. So there's baseball fields and playgrounds there, and it's beautiful. Um, that is where we're going to be having the vigil to um, commemorate the 45th uh, anniversary of her disappearance. Uh, but, you know, this year, this time I really wanted to, to – um, I want to, you know, yes, it's Janice has been missing for 45 years, but I really want to also remember other people that are missing um, yes. and also victims of unsolved homicide here in Connecticut. So um, I'm really excited that we have, um, I have some speakers coming as well who are also sisters of either missing or um, people who are, you know, whose sisters have been murdered but no solved you know the unsolved cases go ahead and and mention who they are if you like okay absolutely I've got um April who is Lisa White's sister she'll be there and I have Terry who is the sister of Susan one of the sisters Susan LaRosa and um I want to say thank you Terry because she's been a big support for me um through this planning and everything as well and I'm very excited that I just got to meet just yesterday over the phone um, a sister of Patty Luce and she'll be coming as well and speaking about her sister so I'm really excited about that Um, and another thing is Deb Spickler's sister unfortunately um, lives in Texas and won't be able to attend but she is going to give me a statement that I'm going to read so I'm really excited about that and we're going to have also several, you know, um, trifold boards and just, you know, pictures and things of other kids that are missing in Connecticut, but unsolved homicide cases, just so people can look and, and see really what, I mean, this is what a lot of families in Connecticut are going through. So I really want to draw attention to that. Now, is this going to be on display in the outdoor pavilion? Is that what it is? Kind of, yeah, it's where you so we're going to be outside. So I'm, praying there's no rain or thunderstorm. <laughs> so I'm really worried about that. But um <laughs> we're gonna hope there isn't. But um it's outside yesterday displayed there in the area near the bench. So and um I just wanna say also that I'm very happy that you Donna are gonna be speaking as well. Oh yeah <laughs> I'm very excited I'm, I'm about very that. Thrilled. I'm thrilled to be and asked. I also have um M. William Phelps who is a you know, best-selling author of true crime books. He will also be there speaking, and he has also been instrumental in keeping uh, 
Janice's case alive, Lisa White's case alive, uh, Deb Spickler, everyone. He um, has done TV shows on it, and he works tirelessly to solving these cases. So I'm excited about everyone that's coming to speak. I think it's going to be a a wonderful event. Mm. I hope. Those of us that cannot attend are hoping that you will make sure you take a lot of photos and share on your Facebook page because Absolutely. we would love to support support you all. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll definitely so we can do that. Are you hoping to have news media there? And I am, yes. We've I've got the the press release is done and I've got uh, Matt Phelps is helping with that. He's got some contacts. Um, I know I've got my uh, reporter who my contact at the Hartford Current is going to be there, and I'll be sending the press release out to um, the Journal Inquirer, too, and hoping to get a good response from that as well. Mm. Is it going to be recorded at all, do you know, in terms of the program? That I hope so. That's something I mm-hmm. would like to look into, too, because that would be wonderful if I could get a, a video of that as well. So that's something to definitely look into um, before next week. Right. It's Now, it's 7, seven to 9. So the, just the in terms of going down the program, so the candlelight portion, is that the end? Because it'll be that's going like to be the end. Job? Yes. Yeah, Tell us that'll what, be the what's end. on the that. program. I'm sorry? Can you tell us what's, like the, what's on the program in terms of the lineup uh, of events? Oh, absolutely, yes. We're just going with um, the speaker. We're starting, with, you know, with, of course, like a welcome. And then the speakers, Donnie, you might be first. I'm just warning you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> you can get it over with quick. And then I think <laughs> we're, we're probably going to end it with, I, I like to call it the sisters <laughs> speaking and things like that. And then. We'll move on to, um, you know, a, a closing and then the candlelight portion of it at the end. And um, so that's about it in general. Just what? very brief. Yeah. <laughs> um, my is. Are you going to have any kind of music? Do you know of anybody that is volunteering? We are hope. Yes. That? Yes, and I'm hoping that will. It's still in the works, and I'm hoping that will pan out. I'm sure it will, and I'm very much excited about that as well, that we're going to have some oh. music at the end as well. Oh, that that would be wonderful. Um, now, is this per se open to the public um, for people Absolutely. that are interested to be supportive? So what, what, yes. how could we do, help to promote between now and Thursday? Um anyone telling telling people you know um i know flyers have been put out at a lot of different places um i'm using of course social media to help um i know um just friends of friends and friends that are coming and things like that but it's definitely open to anyone who wants to come and and give support um i we are kind of asking that people know that they can park inside the park. You don't have to park in the street. So um, please feel free to pull into the Cross Farms Recreation Complex. There is a, a large parking area in the back. So um, mm-hmm. please do that and not to, just not to block the road too much. But, um, but I'm just, you know, hoping there'll be a big turnout. We yeah, need all we, the support well, we can get. <laughs> Uh, the Connecticut State Police Museum. I am on their website, and I've been I've been sharing a lot of information. And let me tell you, a lot of the police from there are are very interested because they helped they helped work that case years ago. So hopefully Absolutely. that will help that will help as well. Yeah. Um, so that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're hoping that th- this is going to be you know just you know and. And the idea is that we want we want to be able to uh, are people should people feel free is there going to be somebody there if if this so inspires people oh I have this uh, a piece of information and I've just never shared it is there going to be somebody there that can be kind of like a go to person if they did have information perhaps 
a, a police um, person or something like that? Did you feel comfortable we, sharing privately? Well, um, I d- probably not, but I'd certainly be happy to provide phone numbers and emails. Have that, like, I think we are going to have, like, a little section where all the information of who to contact and, um, you know, website as well as phone number. So that's kind of how, you know, I'd encourage people to do that. But, you know, of course, anyone's welcome to come to me as well, and I can, you know, turn them in the correct direction, you can, you know, to you do can that. Direct them. Yeah. And right. Is there... um is there any kind of fund in which you, you are accepting donations for the ongoing? I mean, I'm just I'm just wondering um, if people want to make some type of a monetary donation. Is there something set up for that? So you know, to defray there expenses. Isn't, there isn't no. um, at this point, no. But um, okay. that that's something I may be working on in the future. So I'll, I won't say any more about that, but, okay. <laughs> but no, okay. there won't be any, we won't be accepting any donations or anything like that at this point. Okay. Just thought I would ask. <laughs> no, good question. You know, good question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very, very good. Um, so, so, and, and so it will start precisely at 7 PM. So people need to, yes. need, need to get there early and um, are there um, audiovisual? I mean, in terms of amplification kinds of things, or we're just using our natural voices, or podium, or yeah. whatever. No, there will be a podium, and there'll be um, a sound system and a microphone. So you, wonderful. Yeah. Yep. That that's so great. We will well, be heard. <laughs> that that's good because we if we're inviting the public, we want everybody to be able to share and. So please, everyone that's listening to this, please tell your 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 local media and tell tell all of your neighbors. And it hopefully it will be a wonderful weather night. Now, in the event that there is some kind of inclement uh, weather, is there is a building there? Would you potentially be moving it inside or what? Uh, there's really not a building per se, so that we would have access to. So I'm just. We are like just really hoping <laughs> for good yeah, weather. Okay. We, we are going to have tents like set okay. up, so that's something, I guess. You know, um, I'm as a just backup. Hope, um, yes, we're you okay. know, so things don't get wet and stuff. But um, yeah, I really am hoping for good weather. Where I'm, yeah, we if are... I could put a word in there with the weathermen, no, <laughs> but. <laughs> For, for or the sure. Man upstairs. No. <laughs> or, yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think this has uh, been, you know, a wonderful show in terms of creating an overview, and also um, and also telling people about this visual. So, are, is there other information that you'd like to convey before we before we have to um, wind this up? We have about a minute or so, Mary. No, I think I've got all the information out that I wanted to, and I just want to say again, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I am truly appreciating being able to get the word out about Janice and other missing and victims of unsolved homicide in Connecticut, and I'm just inviting everyone to come to the vigil next Thursday um, in Tolland at the Cross Farms Recreation Complex on Rhodes Road, 7 o'clock p.m., Okay, well, um, and thank you so much for asking me to participate. It's an honor, and I'll be there with bells on and and my Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Uh, Delilah, any parting comments? Well, I'm just, you know, very proud that you have taken this on. Um, I mean, how could you not, really? It's your sister. But you're also sharing your time and your efforts with all the other missing sisters in your area. And others others really have relied on you for this. And I think that it will hopefully snowball and hopefully will bring some answers somewhere along the line to these cases because, you know, time... Time is the enemy, and it's Absolutely. it's been way past time. So, 
you know, my heart goes out to you, Mary, and hopefully all of the others as well. And and take care. Thank you so much. We commend you. And and we'll, uh, Delilah, I'll give you a a full report. And uh, so everyone, please do um, share this podcast after this show with everyone you know. It's very important. And, Mary, keep in touch with me in the interim. You need to. And I will see you on Thursday. Okay. Wonderful. So Thanks again. You're, thank you you're welcome. So thank you everyone for listening. Share the podcast and we'll see you next week. We've got a great show planned then as well. Thank you, Lila.